Welcome to the Passion Harvest podcast audio series. Thank you so much for listening today. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. If you would like to watch this episode, please head over to our Passion Harvest channel on YouTube. We love taking you on a journey to discover your passions. Thanks for listening. Hello, passionate listeners. Welcome to Passion Harvest. Thank you for making me a part of whatever you're doing right now. I've got a really, really exciting guest today. And if you like this episode, please do subscribe. My guest today is Gregory P. Smith. And if you don't already know who he is, Gregory P. P. Smith ate just about anything to stay alive in the forest. For 10 years, a man calling himself Will Power lived in the total isolation in northern New South Wales, foraging for food, eating bats, and occasionally trading for produce. Some people thought he might be Jesus. Others feared he was a more sinister figure. The truth was he was neither miraculous nor malevolent, but he was most certainly gifted. When he finally emerged from the forest, emancipated and close to death, he was determined to reclaim his real name and give society another chance. Today, Dr. Gregory Peel Smith, who left school at age of 14, has a PhD and teaches social sciences at university. His profoundly touching and uplifting story is at once a unique insight into how far off track a life can go. And a powerful reminder that we can all find our way back if we pause for a moment in the heart of the forest. For me, this is the ultimate story of following your passion and how we do create the whole of our reality. This is his story and this is his passion. Gregory, welcome to Passion Harvest. Thank you very much for inviting me and that's a very, very powerful introduction. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm so excited uh, to have you on the show. I, I believe I saw a documentary on you years ago and it just clicked one day and I thought, oh my God, I'd love to have Gregory on the show and I'm so glad we've connected. Um, I always, and some people potentially don't know about you and I always like to ask the guests, if you don't mind, just giving a bit of a brief background about your life and the pivotal moments potentially from your early childhood that made you the person that you are today. Um, well, that's a, I think life experiences, it makes us who we are and not just the experiences, but, but how we respond to and, and what we learn from those experiences. And you know, I, I was, um, I was born into um, domestic violence. I was born into poverty. Um, I was born into love that didn't work really. Um, I'm, you know, I'm sure that you know, my mum and dad loved each other very, very dearly, very passionately. Uh, when they were married, and I'm sure they had a lot of dreams um, for their future. Yeah, but, but um, poverty does um, puts a lot of strain on relationships, as does alcoholism and anger and and, and violence. Mm. And um, so when I when I by the time I was born, um, yeah, the, the, their relationship was very strained, um, and there was a lot of tension in there. And uh, that that was that came through as um, as violence, and I was caught up in that violence from a very young child. So um, as a direct result of that, I, I was very traumatised very young. Um, you know, I had four sisters up until I was ten years old, and at the age of ten, um, my mother, in her wisdom, trying to escape the domestic violence, uh, gave me away to an orphanage and. But I guess, you know, we need to understand that um, the world was, Australia was a very different place um, back in 1965. Um, There was no support for women escaping domestic violence. Um, You know, and and it was a very desperate time for my mother, I understand that. Um, But for me, um, entering the orphanage, um, changed my world significantly and uh, there's a lot of beautiful birds here. I can hear them and I, I just wanted to say to the audience you mentioned before the show that you're, you, you're at your favourite spot and the birds are beautiful so please continue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, they're very meditative. Um, yeah, so, you know, um, 
look, the issues were, the issues about my mother giving me away to an orphanage, and I say giving me away because she didn't talk to me about it, to me and my sisters about it before it happened. Mm. Uh, this was sort of sprung on us as we arrived at an orphanage. And, um, and all of a sudden I found myself in the custody of, of nuns. And, um, and I was a very, uh, you know, I, I was already traumatized. So for this, um, this traumatized me even more, seeing my sisters forced to go one way and I was forced to go another way. Um, and I didn't understand that separation of my siblings and, and that played on my mind for a long time. That actually created um, um, issues for the rest of my life, uh, well, for the next 40 years uh, with, with my siblings being estranged from them. Um, but, you know, um, you know, I had a lot of very severe experiences in the orphanage, um, physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse in the orphanage. After I, my mother came and picked me up after about 16 months, um, the damage was done. Yeah, uh, and I was just a very, very, very angry, um, you know, nearly 12 year old um, with attitude and disrespect for everyone, including myself. So I found myself you know, running away from home, stealing cars, uh, you know, generally what angry young boys do, mm. um, stealing. Uh, and as a direct result of that, I found myself in the punitive system in New South Wales and in Queensland um, until I was almost 19, one week away from my 19th birthday. Um, in those places, I was a very... Um, well, they called them reform schools and I sort of set up this attitude that I would not be reformed. Yeah. So I rebelled against the whole idea of being reformed. Reformed into what? You know, I, I had this, this dialogue in my head about what I was being reformed into. And I sort of after I left those institutions, I would think about that a lot, about what they reformed me into, because, you know, as I entered society and I was expected to function as a, as a, a normal, normal yeah. 20-year-old uh, young man, um, what I didn't know how to do was um, have relationships. I didn't know how to communicate with people. I didn't know how to respect people because I was never taught to respect myself. Um, I, I, I didn't know how to go and find a job. I didn't understand um, a whole lot of what people take for granted in their life. And I often found myself in situations where I felt that I was being judged for who I was, which only made me a lot angrier. Um, but, you know, I tried to do the right thing. I, I tried to, um, get married. Well, I did get married. I, um, and that wasn't a very, you know, that was disastrous, uh, because I found myself in that marriage being a lot like my father, very abusive towards this beautiful woman. Um, and I, I you know, I, there was a lot of guilt around that because I was aware of what was happening. So, and yet, you know, I would enter these rages that I had no control over. I had no control over my behavior uh, because I had so much anger in me. Um, she was a smart lady, as I said, and you know, she exited out of that relationship. Um, a, a wise move on her part. Well, we're great friends today. Her and I are great friends today. You know. So, and, you know, I love that. I love that. Um, but I, you know, um, and I struggled along. The only jobs I could get were really cleaning jobs or um, occasionally I'd, I'd, um, I'd get a little bit entrepreneurial and create a, a job for myself, but often that would end up in disaster. Um, 
Um, you know, and I, I experienced, you know, um, a lot of, a lot of sickness, a lot of mental, um, health issues. At the age of about 30, um, I found myself sitting in a forest, um, and it was raining a lot. That's how I knew it was a rainforest. Um, and I, you know, I was being attacked by leeches and, um, ticks and a whole lot of um, critters that like me. And, but there was one thing about being in that rainforest. Um, I wasn't in conflict with anyone. Mm. And I certainly, you know, there was this strange um, armistice with myself. So, you know, I was like, all of a sudden I had no one to fight in the forest because there was only me there. So I made a decision that I would stay in the forest. And, uh, and I did that. And I did that for some time. Um, of course, some needs um, outweighed other needs. One of the great needs for me was to kill the pain, to kill that, constantly kill that emotional pain that lived within me, uh, that resided at a depth within me. So, you know, I found myself um, looking for alcohol, looking for drugs, looking for anything that I could use to kill the pain, to, to pacify my aggression. And, um, you know, over time, I'd, you know, I learned that I could actually brew alcohol in the forest and I could grow my own marijuana in the forest. Of course, um, that's all well and good. Um, except for when you start to use too much of your own product. Um, so over time, you know, sickness really started to manifest in different ways. Um, psychosis began to set in. Um, paranoia began to set in. Um, anxiety, a deeper anxiety from the alcohol. Um, and I lost a lot of weight. Yeah, um, and so I was, well, the short story is I lost an argument with some aliens, so I had to sort of um, keep my word and leave the forest, but that's a whole different story. Wow, we have to talk about that later. <laughs> I'll let you continue. <laughs> yeah, um, well, yeah, it's all about psychosis, you know, and then, um, but, uh, um, as you pointed out in your, your introduction, there was, there's a documentary, or actually there's a couple of documentaries, I guess. Um, and, you know, different um, media companies have invested some money in researching my background. And one of the things that, that we have learned, uh, and I'm very grateful for the information, um, is that I actually left the forest on the, uh, in November of 1999. So, um, and we know that because as I left the forest, I was hit by a car. Yeah, if you would like to go with a couple of questions. I sure, I, I mean, I'm just gonna backtrack here and I've got a lot of questions for you. Um, the, the child abuse, and obviously from what I understand, it was very severe, which you, have moved on from, but I'm interested and I, uh, I'm very interested in this sometimes when you're looking at your past or your history and traumatic events. I find this with myself. I, do you look at it without necessarily much emotion, almost like a movie? Oh, that's a, that's a really good point. Uh, look, I think you have to, if I start, because one of the things that you would make me angry is that I did look at these things uh, with that emotion. Mm. And, you know, once that emotion con uh, connected to the actions um, and, the, and the people of the time, my father, my mother, whoever, at the time, um, then, you know, I would have a reaction to that. And when I did that, I became the victim. And I was still playing that role of the victim. Yeah. So when I was able to 
begin to look at it objectively uh, without investing that emotion, I started to see things a little bit differently. Um, and I started to ask different questions as well. Uh, because you know, when, I'm at, when I'm connected with that emotion, um, that overrides my ability to critically think about what's going on. Yes, like to almost like to evaluate the situation. You Absolutely. can't look at it from a distance perspective. Absolutely. I find, and also, I always say, you know, coming from that victim mentality, you can never really be free. Well, you can. That's a fact. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, and I realised that, and I realised I needed to understand from a different perspective. So, and this is where, uh, for me. Um, studying sociology started to come in more so than psychology um, so soci because sociology teaches me that you know when I'm asking a question or when, when I'm critically evaluating something I need to put into perspective the his the historical content so what was happening in that era you know what what were the attitudes what were the laws what were the people um, the other part of that is to have a look at the structural um, parts of that era as well. What were the laws? What were the systems? What the social yeah. systems as well, I guess, obviously. Exactly. Particularly yeah, from childhood. Absolutely. So all of this starts to come into it when I can start to um, ask those questions um, from an objective perspective. I mean, I can, t sorry, but I can always, I mean, t thank you for being so open and honest with your story, but I can tell even you've always been such a deep thinker, a very sensitive soul or a very sensitive person. It's obvious. Well, thank you for that. Look, honestly, I don't understand that. I don't see that. I don't feel that. Um, mainly, I guess mainly because I've never really had benchmarks, you know, and, no, you know, um, the, the fact that I, I've been able to get where I am sort of logically tells me that but um i'm just who i am i'm the same as everyone else you know i um i get up in the morning um i do the best i can through the day and i go to bed at night we all do that yeah, um i think well, you've I also you you've you've realized and you've gone from not a victim mode but you realized that you needed to take charge and to create the whole of your reality really. And I think that's pivotal and you wanted to be the best version of you that you could be. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, um, if I'm going to do something, I like to do it right. So, um, if I was going to, uh, and this comes back to the aliens and the argument that I lost with the aliens. Okay. Um, because you know, I'll, I'll just briefly touch on some of the discussions that, that the alien, the aliens, and I had. Because sure. They, so I'm just going to recap that this is while you were in the forest. Can I just quickly mention from a, one of the documentaries I saw that you were locked up in a cupboard? I think you mentioned this. You were locked in a cupboard in the orphanage for hours at a time in a dark room, and you almost created this rainforest or this sanctuary where you could be alone and by yourself and hence you felt so complete and safe in the forest where you lived for many years. Yeah, that's true. And I've learned a lot from that as well because um, I need to be aware of my manifestations. Um, you know, what I've learned over the years is, is, you know, I'm not sure if everybody does this, I don't know. Um, but if I think of something often enough and hard enough, uh, quite often it manifests itself into a reality. People um, pay a fortune for the, the, these tools and techniques, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're a gift. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah um, like, for example, I mean, there's that, there's that one, that, you know, of, uh, you know, of that, that, alternate reality that I constructed in my, in my mind. In, in, in the orphanage. In the orphanage. Not just in the orphanage. You know, that served a really important uh, space 
for me while I was in the punitive system as well, because I'd often be locked up in a concrete cell for days. And um, so that gave me somewhere to go. So, you know, I didn't live in the concrete cell. I lived in my mind. Mm. And so there were all these beautiful things in my mind that were, were engaging my reality at the time. Um, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't just about a concrete cell. In fact, um, often I would prefer to be in the concrete cell or in the, in the boob, as they called it, um, than mixing with the other, uh, uh, the other inmates in the institution because it was safe. You know, I didn't have to protect myself. Yeah. And, I, and I lived this gentle reality in my mind uh, in there. But um, Back to the forest, and I'm sorry to interrupt, and I'd love to hear about the aliens and your metaphysical experiences in the forest. And a, a lot more questions for the forest. So. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, look, well, a part of, well, before the forest um there was my ancestors um you know i was sitting at the short stories i was sitting around the fire one night this is towards the end of my time in the forest and i looked up and there's all these entities um you know and they're all my ancestors my mothers all my mothers all my fathers and you know they were quite concerned about me they were actually showing me well i didn't understand it at the time but they were showing me love oh. and concern and they were concerned that I was going to die in the forest. And to allay their concerns, I, uh, my argument was quite simple. And my argument was, look, I've tried living in society. I don't like it. I tend to hurt people. I don't want to hurt anyone else. You know, all I want to do is lay down in the forest, die. Um, the pain's gone. It's all over. I don't have to worry. And, you know, I reiterated that many times to them and eventually they backed off and left me alone. But a couple of months after that, the aliens turned up. Um, and I suspect that my ancestors communicated with them to get them there because um, for whatever reasons, uh, that's a different So what was their appearance like? And um, what did they look like? Well, they, yeah, very wise, um, um, I describe them in depth in my book, actually, mm -hmm. um, but very wise, very thin-lipped, very elongated uh, statuesque. They, to me, they appeared that they didn't actually touch the ground. They weren't walking on the ground. They were just hovering just above the, band, the ground. Um, that may have had something to do with um, um, one of the books that I was reading at the time, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Great book. Um, I'm not sure, but it's a beautiful spider. Um, <gasps> Did you just pick that up with your hand? Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you didn't even flinch? <laughs> Oh, I got, sorry, you've been living in the forest, of course. <laughs> How silly of me. <laughs> yep. <laughs> sorry, I forgot, I forgot about that. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, of course, you're not going to flinch at a spider. <laughs> well, I don't have to eat them today either. So, um, yeah, so they approached me and their, their argument um, was my argument. And what they did is they turned my simple philosophy around or my simple argument back around on me. And what they said was, um, you say that you don't want to hurt anybody else, that you just want to you know, lay down and die in the forest. And I said, that's right. And they said, well, you've got sisters out there and a daughter out there. If you die in the forest and nobody ever finds your body, you're going to cause them a lot of pain through no, non-closure. They will never know what happened. You can just as easily go in and, and die in the gutters of society where your body is found uh, and at least your family will have closure. Now, it was a very simple argument uh, and I couldn't find an argument to rebut that. So I was forced to be a man of principle and a man of my word. Um, I had to pack up and leave the forest 
I had no choice. So I left the forest. But on leaving the forest, my thoughts were, you know, like I couldn't do it. I had to do it on my terms. Mm-hmm. And so my terms were that I would give society one more chance. Okay, I was being very generous here. I will give society one more chance. Um, but if I'm going to go back into society, um, yeah, I'll do the best I can. But that, that really didn't happen for a while, uh, for a couple of months, because, um, you know, as I said, I was hit by the car exiting the forest and I ended up in the mental health unit. Um, I was in there for, for, well, not too long, but uh, mainly because I was going crazy. I couldn't stand the walls. So we had an agreement. Um, I became an outpatient for, for a period of time. Um, but it wasn't until about oh, some time later and I was sitting on the park bench and I had an epiphany that I realised that... Um, that I was my problem, you know, that, that all my life I'd been creating, creating my own problems. I've been fighting myself all my life. And on realising that, I made a decision to not be the, that person anymore, that I wanted to just be the best person that I could be. Uh, and so I set out. I set out to change who I was, uh, to be the best person that I could possibly be. And um, I'm not sure that I've done that, but I'm You've satisfied. done a pretty good job, I have to tell you. And I just want to say I love that quote. Um, you, real, you, you realized the, your whole life you thought you were fighting the rest of the world and everyone else, but in fact you were fighting yourself. Yeah. So what, I mean, what a, a beautiful realization. And I believe it, it's at that point you decided to give up alcohol and drugs and in, any yeah. substances yeah. that abuse your body. Yeah, well, it was at that point um, I was sitting on a park bench and next to me in, a, in, a, in an army backpack that I'd just purchased were um, all my essentials. You know, and if you, you think about the essentials of a drug addict alcoholic, a homeless drug addict alcoholic, mm. um, there, was, uh, there was a cask of fruit elixir, um, a couple of bottles of bourbon, um, a little bit of cocaine, um, some marijuana, hydroponic, hydroponic marijuana, because I'd never tried the hydroponic marijuana before. Um, my, my tobacco for rollies, for cigarettes. Um, and on, that, on making that decision, I sort of looked at that and I, I got up from the park bench. I walked away from that park bench and from that moment, I've never had another drug. I've never had another cigarette. Amazing. So, yeah. Well, and, was it? <laughs> and surely um, it wasn't easy. I mean, you still obviously had cravings and it wasn't that easy yeah. or it was once you'd made that decision? It wasn't. I mean, it sounds easy when you say it quickly. Mm. But the reality is all of a sudden I was faced at looking at me without any anesthetic. Mm. I was no longer trying to kill the pain. I needed to change the way I dealt with that emotional pain. um, And the way that I chose to do that was to challenge it. Bring it on. Okay? That's tough. That's hard. Very, very hard. (laughs) Nothing to lose. You know, I was willing to die. I was willing to die in the forest. So I wasn't afraid of death. And I wasn't afraid of pain. I've been through pain all my life. Um, I, I would anaesthetize that emotional pain because I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't understand how to deal with it. Mm. But once I made that decision to change who I was, that gave me permission to challenge the pain. So rather than trying to get rid of the pain, I wanted to own the pain. I was saying, bring it on. 
let's have a look at this. Let's have a look at what's causing this pain. Okay, understand it. Um, again, that sounds pretty simple, I guess, but it took me a couple of years to work, start to work through it all and come to terms with it. Um, and I guess 2003, 2004, I was still dealing with that pain, like that emotional pain, mainly the anger. Yeah, the anger's a big one, it's isn't it? Like, it is. And there's still that, um, for me, the anger was representative of being a victim. So I really needed to understand that anger. But once, once I resolved the anger, um, I can honestly say that, you know, um, it, I'm, I'm very slow to anger today. I mean, it, I, I don't get angry today. Um, and I guess it goes back to um, what I mentioned or asked the question before about when you're looking back at your past, it's almost like you detach yourself from the emotions. Um, no, actually, it's the other way. Okay. So I'd love to hear about how you do it because I'm sure a lot of people <laughs> would love to know. They own those emotions. Okay. They are mine. And they are a gift to me because, and I say they're a gift to me because they provide insight into experiences that not everybody has. Okay. Now just along here, just above my eyes in my mind, there's a shelf mm -hmm. and on that shelf parked is drug addiction alcoholism, child abuse, anger, resentment. There's all these things parked there and I can see them. And I know exactly where they are. And I can watch them all the time. I don't allow them to interfere with my life today. I understand them. I know that every experience that I've ever experienced I need to own as mine. They live inside me. I can I can never undo the past. So everything that's happened has happened. What do I do with it? I learn from it. I I understand it. So when I understand it, I put it up there. If I need it, if I need to share with someone or talk to somebody, if I'm listening to somebody, I have that empathy. I have that that reference point in my experience. If I'm doing a study, um, I do research, I do, a, I do social research. Um, at the moment, um, I'm being contracted to do some work with the New South Wales government on homelessness. Um, and I'm qualified to do that. I'm qualified to do that because I have all those experience. Um, and I and I can relate to that, and it's um, yeah. So I've turned all those things, um, all my lived experience, into valuable assets that help me today. That is such a beautiful way of explaining it. And and again, I, I guess you've taken out the victim mentality, but I love it how you say you own it because so often people try and repress or push the emotions away and don't want them to be a part of them but they are and they always will be and if and 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 you know if you can realize that they just made you a better person it's um potentially the best way to move through it i i i agree look i think our first response is is to reject or deny you know denial is the first you know and then we you know um it's shock and then anger so we go through all these um you know um, and I, I went through all that as well. Um, the only, I guess my life for me, it's how can I use these experiences? How can I make them work for me? And I learned that, see, uh, for me, my education has helped there immensely, especially again, I'll say it, you know, sociology is an amazing uh, discipline, um, for me. Yeah. 
And I mean, I just have to say again, congratulations to how far you've come and how much you've achieved academically, you know, professor teaching social sciences at university. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. I mean, that would have been, yeah. I think you always, people had always told you you were dumb or you had a very below average. So it's, it's, it's remarkable. Yeah, look, even that, I understand that today. Um, and it, come out, it came out of a comment from one of my early tutors in TAFE. Um, because I, you know, um, I went and I did a, an ATAR test. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like, I'd already gained a pathway into university, but I wanted to do this ATAR test because I wanted to know how smart I was. Um, and when I got the results from the ATAR test back, I was less than 3% of the population. So, you know, that's not good. In in a, that's in a negative way, right? Not in a positive way. Well, that's in a, that's in a negative way. I yeah. just want to say to the people, when you came out of the forest, you hadn't even completed your high school certificate at that stage. Is that correct? That's right. Okay. Yeah, yeah I had the equivalent of, of a, an eighth grade education. Okay. Today, but... But when I, I went and I, I said to this tutor, um, you know, I was, I was in tears. Oh. You know, it surprised me. Like, I, I was devastated, less than 3% of the population. Um, she looked at the results and she looked at me and she started to laugh. And I, I was, I, you know, I, uh, I hadn't fully dealt with my anger by that, at that time. And so mm. I was sort of um, having some emotional reactions to that. And she looked at me and she said, Gregory, you don't understand. She said, "Um, you don't think like other people. You think differently to other people. These ATAR tests are set for people that have this regime of thinking. Mm. There's expectations around this. When I stopped and I thought about that, it made sense to me. When I stopped and I thought about that in in context of my my childhood it's the same people didn't understand the way i thought i i I think and i do i think differently and my colleagues at university um will often um come and ask me or consult with me because i have a different perspective yes we just say it differently today i have a different perspective I have an unusual perspective. I love that. Well, it's obviously pretty amazingly awesome because, I mean, this whole conversation has been so interesting. And I personally have gained so much insight from it as well. No, thank you. Thank you. Life's a beautiful thing. You know, and um, it doesn't hurt... To share, a, you know, to share an experience. Like, I had a fire at my place um, last night, and I sit there. Uh, you know, I, I pretty much live by myself. Well, I do live by myself. Apart okay. from <laughs> the snakes and the lizards and the spiders and things. Um, and I'm sitting there and I'm looking into the, you know, into the dancing embers of the fire, realizing how valuable storytelling is in a part of human society that we depend on sharing stories with each other sharing experiences and 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 growing from others experiences as well yeah i just want to backtrack briefly to your time in the forest because i I love that a spider just walked over your hand before and you did not even flinch What was it like living in the forest, in the rainforest? I mean, did you have shelter? What did you eat? What did you do when it rained? I've got a few questions. (laughs) Lots of questions there. Um, Yeah. um, Well, in the beginning, it was was very romantic. Uh, You know, I felt like Tarzan, I guess. (laughs) That's sort of a a white um, or Western perspective. I felt part of the forest in the beginning. I felt like 
I was offered a new opportunity um, of getting to build a relationship with the forest. Yeah, and, um, and that was really important to me. And I found myself you know, running around with lots of energy, you know, um, smoking lots of marijuana. So that really sort of enhanced the experience. Um, it was a really good experience. Um, my biggest challenge in the early days was, was learning how to find food. Uh, and I did that over time. I, I worked out how to set snares. I worked out how to hunt. I worked out, you know, how to find food. But I learned that through getting hungry. Um, so there were times in the, you know, in those early days where I hadn't eaten for days. And, you know, you mentioned the spider walking across my hand. Um, you know, in those days, if a spider had walked across my hand, I would have eaten it. Um, and I wouldn't have hesitated. Um, you know, I, you know, in the in the book I talk about the snake um, that crawled across my chest in the night, and how um, just 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 the sheer terror that can enter a person. You know, when you're asleep by a campfire, and all of a sudden you wake up and there's this massive snake crawling across your chest. Um, you know, and, and that became, you know, the snake became a meal. So, you know, and I remember thinking, you know, my, my simple philosophy of at the time is if it moves and I can catch it, I'm going to eat it. And that, you know, uh, bugs, worms, um, and there was only one thing that was accepted from that, well, uh, was the exception to that rule. And that was a, it's absolutely gorgeous um, crayfish. You know, it, it That's interesting. It was so beautiful. It, was, it became my sacred um, um, symbol in the rainforest. It was, it was amazing. And I, I'd sit there for hours and hours just memorized by this crayfish, this blue crayfish. Um, it was sky blue. Yeah, it's just a beautiful creature. Beautiful. Um, what about leeches? Did you eat leeches? Uh, well, yeah, I did. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if yeah, and I didn't have to go hunting for the leeches. They came hunting for you. I didn't eat ticks. Ticks were. Oh. I remember in the early days, I, I had a tick embed itself right in the centre of my back, and I couldn't get. Yeah, I couldn't reach it. I couldn't get down. Um, it was in there for days and um, it got to the point it was irritating me and it sort of it was playing in my mind and it got to the point where I just had to back up to a tree and scratch it out um, which caused me quite a bit of grief uh, um, you know, for probably months after that because um, I left the head in there uh, so it took quite a while to heal so but um, for me, uh, I, uh, there was no outside world at that time. You know, the, the outside world to me was um, was a place that I didn't want to go unless I absolutely had to, um, and I didn't. Uh, you know, I met this lady, she called herself a white witch. And I built up a bit of a relationship with her. Um, I'd encountered her. You know, she would go for walks through the forest, and I encountered her one day. And um, yeah, she seemed very harmless. And you know, I got you know, I was privileged enough to have conversations with her. And um, eventually, I set up a, a trading network through her. Um, you know, I'd trade, you know, snake skins and different things uh, for a bit of bread and tobacco and alcohol or whatever. But there was never yeah. that lonely, you were never lonely. There was never the sense of loneliness. You were missing society at all. No, no. It was, I was never lonely in the forest. Um, yeah. I think I was more lonely before I went into the forest. 
living in society and not being able to engage with the people, not being able to be a part of, you know, knowing that I didn't belong in society, uh, that I was rejected. People didn't understand me. Um, so then I was lonely. You know, the rejection, the, the shame, the stigma, all these things create these, um, these feelings of not belonging. And if you don't belong somewhere, all of a sudden you begin to feel lonely. You have these residual effect, um, emotions. Uh, in the forest, I felt that um, the forest was accepting me. Yeah, no judgment. There was no judgment. There was no shame. There was no stigma. You know, so I felt part of. Um, and as being a part of, I gained more control, more power over my life, the way I felt. That's not to say that those emotions still were not embedded in there. They were. And I still needed to deal with those. But, um, yeah, uh, yeah, I think um, I felt much better in the forest, especially in those early parts. um, Towards the middle, it became more of a... um, anaesthetized numbness because I, you know, by then I'd been consuming too much of my own uh, home alcohol, right? yeah, the alcohol, the, the drugs. And so I found myself uh, not caring for myself as much. So rather than, you know, getting up with the sun and exploring the forest and finding fresh bedding and food and things like that, I found myself depressed, um, sleeping all day, trying to escape the day by, by going into a coma, into a self-induced coma and, you know, pretending that the world didn't exist and living in that fantasy of my own mind. Um, you know, and as a result of that, you know, I, I lost a lot of weight, uh, a lot of body condition. Um, and over time, psychosis began to, and paranoia, began to uh, establish itself within my mind and then towards the end that's really start the, the, the psychosis and the paranoia really began to manifest you know especially in terms of introducing me to my forebears uh, or my ancestors yeah i'm actually grateful i'm very well I'm not just grateful i'm actually appreciative and totally respectful of those experiences now, they've provided me with a whole different understanding of who I am, uh, of, of what it means to be alive, um, of what it means to be the best person you can be. Because I understand today, I'm not representing me. You know, I'm re- I, you know, I am the representation of all my mothers, all my fathers. So I want to make them proud. I want to be the best human being I can so that I can fill my little space and join my ancestors you know, and be a role model for my daughter and my grandchildren. Yeah, you're affecting your future generations as well. The old um, American Indian saying is, you know, if you change your life, you affect seven ancestors in the past and seven ancestors in front. Well, I didn't know that. It's a very yeah. beautiful thing. And I understand the truth of that. You know, I have that truth in, in my own life. So so when you change yourself, you're actually changing all those around you. Yeah. Um, I don't, well, um, I accept that. I don't understand that. Um, people t- say that to me, um, but then... I don't have that evidence because I don't know what most people were like before I met. So I guess my question is, do you feel accepted in society now? My response to that is I don't need to be accepted by society because I accept me for who I am. Such an amazing answer. My God, that's fabulous. It is so, it's it's very, very true. You know, you can only... Be, speak your truth and speak your honesty and you can't be responsible for how anyone well, acts not, or behaves at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not... Look, I just... 
I'm okay with who I am. Mm-hmm. That's all I can be. How people receive me, um, that's their choice. You know, and I will say that I've not had negative um, responses to who I am. Um, so, and I... It's so true. I was talk about the law of attraction. We live in an energetic universe. And when you're, when you, I mean, people call it self-love or when you have self-worth or accepting, you know, your own guidance and your intuition and what you're doing is right, then you find that the other people, other people that come into your life um, are accepting of you. Not that it matters, but you're, you're attracting similar like-minded people. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Look, I knew I was at home when I started studying my undergrad degree. Yep, I knew straight away I was at home because the world started to make sense for me. As soon as I started started studying sociology, and I I mean, I'll I'll, um, preface that by saying the reason I chose to study sociology is because when I read the definition of sociology in the dictionary, it said the study of human society. And I thought to myself, perfect. I want to study human society to understand why I hate it so much. So I enrolled in sociology and uh, what I learned, and this is all a part of this, all these things happening at one time, what I learned is that I didn't hate society. I hated me. So true. So as I, as I um, trend or society and I understood the mechanisms of society, the institutions of society and realized that they're just people. Um, that, you know, it wasn't about society, it was about me. And so and when I started to understand that, I felt at home. I started to feel at home. I started to feel that, you know, I could have these conversations with my tutors, with my lecturers, and they weren't judging me. You know, they weren't judging me at all. They were interested in what I had to say. In fact, some of them would... Would in, um, one of the most common comments that I would get is, oh, have you read so-and-so? Because what I'd find, and I still find it today, uh, often, you know, I'll be having a conversation with somebody and they'll say to me, like, I often talk about, for example, um, being living in the now, the importance yeah. of being present in myself, in, in my environment, seeing, seeing what's going on, seeing the spiders, seeing the grass move in the breeze, you know, understanding these things, taking notice of these things. And then you know, the, the other person said to me, oh, have you ever read um, Urquhart Tolle, The Power of Now? Yeah. I'd never heard of it. Yeah. Um, and I said, I'd never heard of it. And, uh, he said, well, a lot of what you're talking about is described in Urquhart Tull. I said, well, that's not, so I don't need to read it, do I? Because I already have that understanding. <laughs> another good answer. I mean, it's a great book, but another good answer. But it's just, it's, it, I mean, you're a living example of not only do you, how you create the whole of your reality, but, you know, your explanation of we live in a hologram. Our world that we see and perceive is a mirror based on our perceptions of reality. And we can change that at any moment if we choose to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that's power. That's self-empowerment. Understanding that you know, my experience is my responsibility. If, my, if it's my responsibility, then it gives me that power to change it if I need to or if I want to. Gregory, Really, really, your journey is so incredible in the way you speak, and I'm 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 inspired by talking to you. I have to ask you the question I always ask guests on the show: for people who are looking to find their passion and follow their passion, I guess that's two questions. And you've 
definitely covered this, but just in summary, what is your advice to those that are not happy with their life or don't know where they're going or where life's leading them or they want to do something and they're unhappy and want to take that next step? What, what would you advise them? I don't advise people. Okay. I'll, I'd ask them a question. How well do you know yourself? Uh, it's through that process of getting to know who you are that you begin to understand uh, what you like and what you don't like. Um, for example, I never, I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I could have sat in that space for a long time, but I needed to get up and start moving. And the biggest discoveries I've had in my life, I guess, are that is discovering what I don't like, discovering what I don't want to do. Because once I understand I don't like something or I don't want to do something, I don't have to do that. I can move on to the next thing. And then eventually, if I do that often enough, I'll find what I do like. So I guess um, understanding who I am, and that takes time. Introducing me to me. You know, I've, I have heard of that saying, you know, the greatest journey in one's life is, is from here to here. Yep. And, and I, I understand that. Understanding who I am, loving who I am. Yeah. Um, I have a little gold teddy, teddy ring there. Oh, yeah, I can I see it. Yeah. That is to remind me who I am. Because that reminds me that I'm not only the person sitting here today talking to you. That's not just who I am. I'm also a child. I'm also an adolescent. I'm a whole lot of things. I'm a parent. I'm a whole lot of things. And I need to care for all of them. And if I'm setting my ambitions just for one tiny little piece of who I am, then there's a whole lot of other stuff that's going to be missing. You know, I need to look after all of them. And there's such a beautiful, complete wholeness and multidimensionality to that. I, lo I love all those elements that you've incorporated because so often myself included, we focus on one part that we want to achieve or one part that we don't like. But when we, when we realize that it's all encompassing, not only yeah. does it make it easier, but it makes us loving all those parts of ourselves. Yeah. We live in a society that's been constructed by generations of um, people who want outcomes and dividends and a whole lot of other things. You know, we become a product within a society, within our community, within our family. You know, um, a mum is expected to do these things. A father is expected to do these things. You know, these socially constructed role models. And, you know, over the last, you know, um, probably 30, 40 years, there's been a bit of an upheaval in, uh, in some of these social constructions. And I, I'm not convinced that, you know, there's clear, um, there's clear and definitive ways forward for us. So we actually have to make these decisions for ourselves, understanding that it's okay to be me. Um, it's okay to be me. It's okay uh, not to conform to the social expectations of my community, providing that I can live with that and that I'm comfortable with that. Yeah, great reflection, really great reflection. I just wanted to say that, you know, when I, when I was studying and I did a bit of social science, it was really interesting that many talking about society conditions, more often than not, we believe our thoughts and beliefs and actions are created by us, but they're in fact created by the society in which we live or the way we're conditioned which I found very, very yeah. interesting. I think it's a mixture of both. Mm. Yeah. Well, on a final note, yeah, is yeah, there anything Is there anything you'd like to um, express to the Passion Harvest audience? Oh, um, the, the, 
learn who you are. If you don't know who you are, discover who you are. It's a very powerful journey. Um, be kind to yourself. Um, you know, life's a beautiful thing. Enjoy it. Um, you know, I remember not long after I came out of the forest and I was walking along and, you know, I'm, I'm not a religious person. I was walking along and on this church, it just simply said, um, now is a gift. That's why it's called the present. And understanding that I exist in the present can be quite a powerful thing as well. Yeah. Um, and uh, part of that is, you know, I learned that for me, there are only three days in every week. And there's yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You know, if I choose to dwell in yesterday, it's going to cause me a lot of grief. If I want to try to live in tomorrow, that's all about dreams and hope. You know, there's, there's no sub, nothing substantial about tomorrow yet. I can plan for tomorrow, but I can't live in there. That leaves me with today. Today's a really nice place to live. Yeah. Uh, even on the cloudiest, thunderstormiest, or rainiest day, freezing cold, it's a beautiful day. It's always a beautiful day. Enjoy it, your beautiful day. It sure is. Well, Gregory, thank you so much for being on Passion Harvest. What an incredible way to end the show. And you've definitely provided so much beautiful insight and what a wonderful journey you've been on. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. It's been my pleasure and honour. Thank you. Bye for now. That is the end of our passionate episode. Thank you so much for listening and please subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends and spread the passion. As always, every day, may you be more and more passionate.